What's going on, guys? And welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold and the takes are hot. Coming at you with episode 29 here on this Thursday. Um, but yeah, here to go. Ready to uh, get this going. Talking about golf, MLB, and NBA today. Uh, it'll be a shorter episode. We just have one bit of golf news, MLB stats update this week, and one bit of NBA news. We're going to recap some golf stuff, but other than that, only a couple of new things. Um, but yeah, kicking it off with golf. Like I said, we only have one bit of news, so I'm just going to go over what's coming up again as we did last week. So the new bit is that the Live Golf, they announced Tuesday afternoon that their season-ending team championship in Miami, which we played on October 28th, 27th through the 30th at Trump National Doral in Miami will include a match play head-to-head playoff and a $50 million purse. Uh, This is the richest purse in sports history. There will be 12 four-man teams that will compete for a $16 million first place prize. There will be 12, uh, no, the top four seeds will receive a bye to the quarterfinals while the other eight will compete in qualifying rounds. The seeding will be determined by closest to the pin shootout by the team captains, which will take place immediately after the players are drafted uh, to see what team they're on. And then many more details are online, but that's just the basics of it. So if you wanted to get all the nitty gritty, you can find some articles online, but that's pretty much all you need to know. Teams will be drafted. Uh, They figure out what seed they are based off of closest to the pin from the captains. And then the seeds face off with the first four having a bye. It'll be four rounds. um, So if you have a bye, you'll start in the quarterfinals. The next live golf event, it will start tomorrow. As their tournaments begin on Fridays due to them being only three rounds. And this event will take place at the par 72 rich harvest farms course in Chicago, Illinois. Um, So yeah. Fun event there. One of the eight or so live events this season as they just kicked off. Um, but coming down the home stretch of the season before that season ending championship worth a ton of money in Miami. Um, golfers are getting their final tune ups before then. Uh, should be fun to follow along with. Obviously, um, not as invested in it as I am the PGA Tour, but PGA Tour also has an event that teed off today, the Fortnite Championship. It'll be played at the Par 72 Silverado Resort and Spa at the North Course in Napa, California. That purse is $8 million, and the defending champ is Max Homa, who won it last year. Round one is almost wrapped up currently, and the top of the leaderboard, we have seven players at four under right now. So all pretty close, obviously, as you would expect. Only one day into the tournament. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing some good golf and hopefully we have kind of some dudes separate down the stretch as we normally do. And then next Wednesday on September 21st, we will have the president's cup start. So normally you see an event start on Thursday, but here we go with a event starting on Wednesday. Uh, the president's cup is played every other year, alternating with the Ryder cup. And it is a biennial event means every other year. And it will be played at the Par 71 Quail Hollow Club in Charlotte, North Carolina. So this uh, event and the Ryder Cup are two of the most electric events in golf. Uh, It's always jammed with fans. Um, They're all really into it. It's not your typical golf event as you have a match play between you. And so it's U.S. versus international team. So it's a lot more exciting. It's kind of like the World Baseball Classic in baseball and stuff like that. It's just more geared towards your country rather than individuals from any country going up against each other. So 
that'll be fun to watch. Uh, but yeah, lots of golf stuff going on right now as we're kind of closing out the live golf uh, inaugural season. And then as we just closed out the PGA season, we have the President's Cup and then the Fortnite. You know, a lot of golf, kind of a, a weird time um, as we're kind of seeing the, the live kind of wrap up around the same time the PGA did. And then they get the players of the President's Cup coming up. So interesting. Like I said, interesting time during golf, kind of an unprecedented, uncharted waters we're heading into here. But should be interesting to follow and kind of uh, watch unfold as we get into the offseason, if you will, the short offseason that it is, but uh, offseason nonetheless, if you will. But kind of wraps up the golf for today. We're going to get into the MLB. we got a stats update this week. We're going to switch back to the to the traditional stats this week to mix it up again. Seeing this is our uh, really, our, I guess, be our, one of our last stats updates since the next stats update uh, season will probably be almost over. And we will uh, basically be giving out, you know, who 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 had the best stats across the board of each, you know, the top three maybe at each position um, or each stat necessarily not necessarily top five. Um, kind of highlight a few more than just the, the three batting, three pitching stats. Maybe we'll go a little further in depth on each. But um, I'll kick it off with the batting stats this week. Got home runs tied at number four. We've got Pete Alonzo, Mike Trout, and Paul Goldschmidt all tied at 35. Um, Obviously, Pete and Goldie have been here all, all year, and Mike Trout just got back to playing uh, back a little early than people thought he'd be. Um, I believe he hit a homer in seven or eight straight games um, since being back. Clearly, he's healthy, which is great to see. A lot of concern there with kind of his long-term health, but so far, he looks healthy, which is really good to see for the sport. Uh, number three, Austin Riley, the Atlanta Braves at 36. Uh, again, no, no big shock there. Guy's been there all year um, on this leaderboard. Number two, Kyle Schwarber, Philadelphia Phillies, 37. Um We've said it all, you're one of the best power hitters in baseball, pure power hitters. Um, been on this top five list all year as well. And number one, Aaron Judge, New York Yankees with 57 homers. Guy's been top of the leaderboard literally all season, and he's not coming off of it. He's in the chase for – I think he's going to get 60. He had two last night. So um, I hope he gets 60. I think it'd be cool. Um, but, yeah, no, he's he's been dominating the league in all, in all facets. So uh, definitely not a shock to see him here, and I hope he gets to 60. Yeah, really impressive stuff here overall between those six guys that are technically in the top four. So we have a three-way tie at four. Um, but, yeah, I mean, these six guys, no shock to see on the list at any point. Uh, nonetheless, the whole season, really. Six really good, you know, summer power hitters. Some are just well-rounded hitters. Um, but, yeah, I mean, 35, 37, 36, the, that range is not too impressive, as you normally see some guys in the 40s each year. Uh, but Judge, what he's doing this year has been really impressive. I mean, he's four off of the record. so. I think he'll get it uh, probably in the last few games as we only have about 18, 19 games left. Uh, but, yeah, nonetheless, really impressive stuff. And it's been impressive to not only see it, but see him keep it up throughout the course of the season. You know, like you said, uh, four off the record outside of him. Um, you know, it's been a little bit of a disappointing year for power across the majors. So not necessarily not a powerful year, but I think, you know, I think you saw early in the year a lot of balls weren't flying as far. Um Anti-juice balls, if you will, people thought across the league. So um, that's kind of just how it goes sometimes. Um, but kind of getting to the RBI list, uh, number five, we've got C.J. Crone of the Colorado Rockies. Guy has been hovering, you know, outside and inside the top five all year. Uh, number four, Goldie again at 109, having a great year. Jose Ramirez and Pete Alonso tied at number three. Jose, obviously, of the Cleveland, Cleveland Guardians and Pete Alonso of the New York Mets. It's had 111 RBIs and the number one on the leaderboard, Aaron Judge at 123. Um, he'll win this category again this year. It's not going to be super close. Um, same thing with the homer is going to be going to be kind of a wash for everybody else. Yeah, not shocked here once again. Uh, five guys on the list this time. Uh, kind of the top four is we have a two-way tie. 
with Jose and Pete at second, 12 behind Judge. Not a shock to see Judge in the lead by a good bit here. I am shocked to see only four players are over 100 RBIs, though. Um, I thought there would be maybe 10 at this point. Because you normally see a lot of guys finish with 100 or over 100 or even over 110, 120. Um, so, yeah, I mean, guys aren't hitting it out as much this season. And, you know, with all what pitchers are doing and then with the balls and stuff, it's not as hitter-friendly, I guess. And, you know, some ballparks made changes outside of really – the Yankees and Red Sox ballpark, it seems like most parks are pitcher-friendly nowadays. Uh, so that all kind of factors into it. But at the same time, I think we're going to see guys get hot with RBIs towards the last few, like, 10 games of the season as they're making a push for playoffs. You're going to see the really good players play really well. Um, so I think we're going to see a jump in the numbers uh, from now to the end of the season. But, yeah, I mean, not a shock overall here. Jose – not really a power hitter. He just hits for average and knocks in a lot of runs. So that's why you see him, you know, in second place when he's nowhere to be seen on the home run list. That's kind of what he does. But the rest of the guys, not a shock and impressive stuff from Goldie, Pete, Jose, and Aaron. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're right. I think kind of late in the season, you're going to see a lot of guys pick up their average, pick up their home runs, pick up their RBIs just as we get late into the towards the postseason um, when guys need to perform to get their team in or get their team a division title. Um, you know, it should be interesting to see how some of these big names like Pete Alonzo, Goldschmidt, um, these guys, Austin Raleigh finished on the stretch. So um, they'll be interesting to see, but we'll kind of get to the last uh, offensive set of the episode of batting average. Number five, Xander Bogarts of the Boston Red Sox, 317. I think he might be a new entrant to this list, but he's been around, um, you know, he's been hovering, you know, right around the top five all year at 317. So, um, definitely picked up his average as, as of late, but been a guy who's been hitting over 300 for most of the season. Um, number four, Luis Arias, the Minnesota Twins at 320. A guy who's been a resident on this list, I think, every single week. Um, guys had a great year, kind of a breakout year for him, if you will, in terms of batting average. Um, really good year, part of that Minnesota Twins team that's looking to make the playoff, looking to make a late playoff push here in the American in American League wildcard race. Um, number three, you got Jeff McNeil, New York Mets at 321. Uh, big, big, big part of their success. Really good post-All-Star break from McNeil. Um, I believe he made his first All-Star game appearance this year. Um, again, a bit of a big part of their success has been them finding guys outside of, you know, Pete and um, and Francisco Lindor to contribute across the across the field. And McNeil's been a big part of that for them this year. Goldie at number two at 324. Um, guy who's been in first place all year. Uh, a little bit quiet as of late, but again, 324 is still a great batting average. And guy who's probably going to win the National League MVP. And at number one, Guy making a debut with a new team this year, Freddie Freeman of the Los Angeles Dodgers at 329. Um, maybe been the hottest player in the month of uh, September at the plate in terms of batting average. He had a, a ridiculous last couple of weeks. Um, had a night off last night after they won the division, but um, guy's been on fire as of late. Um, he's kind of known to be a September, October baseball player. Um, guy's really, really good in the postseason for the Braves in his career. And they'll get on the stretch, down the stretch towards the postseason for the Braves. So, no shock to see Freddie see an uptick in his play as we get closer and closer to October. Yeah, not a shocker here. You're going to see the best players playing really well. Five guys on the list that have been on it for a majority of the season, if not the whole season. Uh, as you know, early on, kind of the first half, you see a lot of fluctuation in the standings, where, whether it be average, any kind of stats. Um, guys don't really kind of cement their place on the list until – the home stretch of the season. That's what we see here. I mean, Bogarts, Arias, Goldie, Freeman have been on the list majority of the season. Um, really impressive what they've been able to do. 
I think average is tough because of all the things the pitchers are doing nowadays. Um, you know, if you hit one, you have one good at bat, one good at bat every 10 at bats and it's a home run, then it goes, it shows you, you know, you could finish with 50 home runs if you did that, but having an average of over three fifteen is really impressive because, you know, you're more consistent. You're getting three hits every 10 at bats and more well-rounded at the plate than just being a power hitter, just, you know, rather than power versus hit for on-base percentage and stuff like that. So I really like guys with high batting average. Um, and yeah, I mean, normally the good teams are up there in the league in batting average and it isn't a fluke as those guys are normally the stars of the team and kind of what's propelling them to where they are in the standings. Uh, we're going to kick it off with some pitching stats here. We got ERA, Ks, and Whip. Going to start with ERA here uh, pretty quick as we've talked about all these guys numerous times this season. Number five, we got Julio Urias at 2.3 ERA. Been solid most of the season. Uh, a couple rough starts as have all these guys, uh, but two, three, really solid. Uh, four, we have Shane McClanahan from the Rays, super consistent all season long at a 2-2. Two, two. Number three, Dylan Cease for the White Sox. Looks like he's going to win the AL Cy Young, um, if not second, but 216 is really impressive. Number two, we got Tony Gonsolin from the Dodgers at a 210. He's been up there the whole season, really, uh, after the first month or so. He's been up there. And then number one, Justin Verlander at a 184. Uh, it's held for a few weeks, um, you know, dealing with some rehab stuff, I believe. Uh, but he's looked good most of the season. I think he had a couple bad outings, as he normally does. Um, but yeah, really impressive. It's Crazy to see that guys can, you know, still pitch under a two-five nowadays with, you know, everything that the MLB is trying to do to limit pitchers with all the inspections and stuff like that. So to still have a low ERA is really impressive. And I know obviously it's not going to be as low as it was years like a few years ago, um, but to still have these ERAs and this many at this kind of area between one-eight and two-five is it's pretty shocking, honestly. Uh, you know, pitchers, obviously you can adjust and have different pitch sequences each batter, but if you're not able to use anything uh, with the inspections and stuff, it does make it harder to stay consistent throughout the course of the season. And he, these guys have been consistent. So just been impressed from what they've been able to do. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned the sticky stuff, and um, I, I think I read earlier this week that um, you know, RPMs that take had had seen an uptick in the second half of the season. So it's interesting. You know, we see these crazy ERA numbers and, and you wonder if if they're still doing these checks, obviously, but you wonder if any of the sticky stuff's kind of made a resurgence. But no, no like you said, a lot of these guys have been here all year. Um, they're gonna be a great race between Dylan Cease and Justin Berlander in the in the AL Cy Young, I think. Um obviously you're, you're gonna touch on Dylan Cease here at the K's in a second, but um I think that's really it's gonna be what maybe separates the two of them is how do voters see um you know, the separation in ERA and then and the separation in Ks. Obviously, it's not a huge separation in ERA, but fairly large separation in strikeouts as well as the fact that Verlander has not been healthy. I think Gonsolin and him are both about to drop off the ERA leaderboard with the, with the minimum requirements. And they, if Gonsolin already hasn't, um, you know, he probably will tonight when they play their next game. And then same probably goes for Verlander with these guys missing some time. Um, obviously, I think that they still belong on the leaderboard um, 100%. I think – just because you miss a couple games on the stretch and, and you miss um, getting your innings pitched for your team's minimum, you know, games played. I think uh, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see kind of how the votes fall um, with these in, with his injury late. And 
I think Dylan Cease is in a is in a huge spot to get to make the push, like you said, for the signing. It should be a great race. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, we have the K's coming up next. The guys that lead the league in strikeouts this season. Uh, four of the five guys are not on the ERA leaderboard, but we have discussed them all at length throughout the course of the season with our stats updates. So we're going to go through this pretty quick again. Uh, number five, we got Aaron Nola. Not a great ERA from the Phillies, uh, but 202 strikeouts is really impressive, hitting that 200 mark. Number four, we got Dylan Cease, the one guy that's on both the Ks and the ERA list at 214 strikeouts. Number three, Corbin Burns from the Brewers at 219. Number two, we have Carlos Rodon from the Giants at 220. And number one, we have Garrett Cole from the Yankees at 228. Uh, always been known for the strikeouts, kind of been given he either gives up home runs or strikes you out uh, so i guess you can say he's a power pitcher um you know sometimes we'll have a low era but most of the time he's gonna give up a good bit of balls over the fence so that'll kind of inflate the era i mean another group of you know f- the four new guys that i mentioned here have also had really impressive seasons obviously if you're on a leaderboard for a pitching stat it's normally going to be good and these guys have been just that this whole season uh you know burns was my preseason cy young not, look, not looking like he's going to win it this year, uh, but nonetheless still having a good season after a little bit of a cold start. Uh, Rodon, pretty good season. Uh, about what people expected of him, you know, last year is really, really good. Garrett Cole, just been a career good guy uh, over the course of his career, just always been up there in the leaderboard. Uh, Aaron Nola, same deal. Uh, he's been electric for the Phillies most of his career. And then Cease, obviously, uh, has been a phenom this year for the White Sox. So another group of five guys that what they've done for their team has been imperative to their success. And, you know, even with Cease playing well all year, you see the White Sox right now hitting their stride. Um, finally, supporting the pitching with some hitting. You know, I think you, I think you hit it there with Cease, and I think you can look at that again with, with a guy like Carlos Rodon. Um, not a lot of help most of the year, but um, – you know, doing their part. And I think, like you said, C's finally getting a little bit of help here with the, with the White Sox hitting a bit of an offensive stride. Um, you know, Aaron Nola getting some help late this year, kind of in the second half of the season. Um, looks like they're going to have a playoff spot locked up. Um, but, I mean, I think there's something to be said for guys that get a lot of strikeouts. I think you look at the list of ERA guys and you see, you know, Justin Verlander, Tony Gonsolin, um, two guys that you wouldn't necessarily pick his aces to start the year, obviously. Verlander, a guy who was an ace at one point in his career, and then Gonsolin, a guy who was a little bit unproven, always been a somewhat pretty solid starter, but never an ace. And um, I think when you look at the, the guys in the K's list, I mean, you go from Cole, Rodon, Burns, and Aaron Nola, guys who you think of as aces. Um, I think it, we could, we've talked about it before, but, you know, those guys are just pitch, missed pitch location. We gave up homers, but getting the, getting that many strikeouts is pretty, pretty crazy. I think it helps with efficiency. I think you, know, you see Garrett Cole go a lot of full, complete games. Carlos Rodon goes pretty deep into games. Same with Burns, so. Um, you know, singles for cease. I think in your, when you can be effective and you're efficient and economic in your strikeouts, it really helps as well. Um, kind of be help, be of help to your team's success in, you know, at least individual games. But um, we'll get to our last pitching stat and last stat of the week and whip walks hits inning per innings pitched. Um, number five is Mujulio Arias at a 0. 0.950. Guy we've talked about before on, on today's list in the RA list. Uh, guy has been really solid, had a, one of the best second halves. I'm of all National League pitchers, so really making a push, a late push for the uh, to be in <clears throat> maybe second place or maybe even upset San Diego Contour for the NL Cy Young Award. Number four, Zach Gallon of the Arizona Diamondbacks at a 908. The newcomer 
to the stats leaderboard this year. I haven't talked about Zach Gallon yet, but he's had a ridiculous August and September. Um, Nick, he had a stretch where he went like 26 innings without allowing a run, really dropped his area, really dropped his whip. Um, you know, what kind of the lone bright spot this, this late in the season for the Diamondbacks as well as Corbin Carroll, but um, definitely a, a big kind of surge towards, and towards the end of the year for Zach Gallon. Number three, Gonsolin with an 8.65. Number two, McClanahan with an 8.62. And number one, Verlander with an 8.55. All three of those guys within a hundredth of, a hundredth of each other and guys we talked about at length today. So no need to beat a dead horse on those three guys. Um, had really solid years all year and expect to see all three of these guys on the top of leaderboards um, when we discuss that in a couple of weeks. Definitely, yeah. Uh, already talked about these guys other than Gallon. Um, yeah, it's basically how efficient they pitch. Uh, it's not talking about strikeouts, ERA. It's basically uh, on-base percentage for pitchers, so to speak. Uh, pretty good stats if you're under one, and these guys are all well under that. So not shocked to see, you know, the same guys popping up on another pitching leaderboard. We're going to talk about something that we talked about last week uh, for the first time, but I'm going to hit the AL wild card update. You're going to give an NL wild card update. I'm basically just going to give, you know, within with the teams that are still somewhat in contention for the three spots, um, kind of what it looks like. So I'm going to kick it off here with the AL. Kind of the sixth team in the grouping is the Minnesota Twins at seven and a half games out. Uh, fifth team is the Chicago White Sox at six and a half games out behind a recent surge. Fourth is the Baltimore Orioles at four games out. Uh, the third wild card spot belongs to the Tampa Bay Rays. The second belongs to the Mariners, who are one up on the Rays. And the first belongs to the Toronto Blue Jays, who are one and a half up on the Rays and a half game up on the Mariners. Uh, Blue Jays have been really hot recently. Rays lost a couple when the Blue Jays won, so they pretty much flopped. Uh, the Mariners have been holding steady on that second wild card spot for a while now. It looks like those are going to be the three teams in it. Uh, I mean, they've been the three teams in it for the past three weeks, I think, since the Orioles held uh, the third spot. It's been them, and I think it's going to end up being that way. And I don't think the Orioles, White Sox, or Twins are going to get in this season. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to win the wild card game even to get to the DS. So it's not – I mean, you could be the second or third wild card team and not have a lock at more than, you know, a game. So you got to, you know, if you're going to be a wild card team, it's not really going to be worth it unless you win and get to the ALDS in this case. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this time, I mean, next time we do a stats update, or I guess next episode when we do a wild card update, it'll be a lot more solidified and it'll be pretty much clinched with all other teams being eliminated. Yeah, I think the Orioles kind of they've got to have they got to make their run basically right now. Um, yeah, they've got a series this weekend against the against the Blue Jays, and then they finish the year with the Blue Jays. But um, I think at that point you're probably looking at it already being locked up, or you know if they if they lose one game, they're done. So I think uh, really really big push this weekend for them, and then they get a weak opponent when in the Detroit in the Detroit Tigers. Pardon me. Immediately following that series with the Blue Jays in Toronto this weekend, so. Really big next six games for your Orioles as they look to make a push here again. Kind of got to happen right now, and um, they don't do it now. It's probably not going to happen at all with the, with the Blue Jays continuing to build momentum here. But I'll talk about the NL wildcard. The only four teams to talk about here is the fifth team in contention is nine games back from a wildcard spot, um, basically meaning that they're out of it with 20 games left right now. Um, they basically have to win out to get a wildcard spot at this point, it looks like. Um, 
you know, the Giants, obviously the way they're playing, not going to, not going to go win, you know, nine, 10 straight and, and, and push for a wild card spot at this point. So, um, you know, not, not going to include them in this talk. We're just going to talk about the four. We've got the number, number four, the Milwaukee Brewers are two games out of the, of a wild card spot. Number three, the San Diego Padres currently hold the, the final wild card spot in the national league. Number two, the Philadelphia Phillies who are two and a half games up on the Padres holding that second wild card spot. And what's ultimately, um, should be clinched fairly soon um, with 20 games left. The Atlanta Braves are 10 up on the pack in the first place for a wild card spot, 10 up on the Padres, seven and a half up on the Phillies. Um, this has been locked up for a while now, you know, take a monumental collapse from the Braves um, to give up this wild card spot and not make the playoffs. Um, really they're in, they're in a division race with the Mets is what they're more concerned about. Um, they're trying to win a division. So, um, you know, not, not really much to watch in, in the top spot, but definitely that final wild card spot between the Brewers, Padres and the Phillies, how those three kind of shake out and who, who misses the cut. Um, definitely something to watch. And like you said, the, the three seed, and the two seeds aren't, they're not guaranteed more than I think a three game series. Now um, they're, I think they play with that best of best of three to see who goes to the DS um, to play that one seed or no. Yes. Yeah, to play the one seed. Is that what it is now? Or is it? Yeah. Um, is it, no, no, I thought it was all three teams play, play a three game set. Doesn't the, um, yeah, because the one and two seeds get buys now. And then the – so the, whoever the third division winner is plays a three-game set with six seed. And then the four seed plays the three-game set with the five seed. I believe that's what it is now. Instead of doing like the one and done, I think they're doing that. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty – because I know, I know the first two seeds get buys to the DS. So I'm fairly certain that it's three, that it's three game sets across the board. I'll double-check that right now um, before we get into – uh, the, if you want to cover the NBA news, and I'll check this, and I'll come. I'll we'll we'll, we'll touch be, we'll touch base when we get to the ice bath on this. Okay. All right. Well, while you're checking that, and then have the MLB uh, stuff, I'm going to jump to the NBA real quick. Only one little piece, uh, not too much new on the NBA news front. Tuesday morning, though, the NBA fined and suspended Phoenix Suns owner Robert Sarver for use of racially insensitive language, unequal treatment of female employees, sex-related statements and conduct, and harsh treatment of employees that on occasion constitute bullying. Uh, he is suspended for one year and fined $10 million. so um, pretty tough there on the um, kind of the result of all this. And, you know, being away from the team, they're hiring an interim uh, GM or owner for this one season, but being fined 10 mil uh, probably doesn't mean a whole lot to him. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, workplace misconduct, especially in the professional sports franchise, does normally get exploited and uh, you don't normally have a good way out of it, regardless of what it is, uh, you know, soon we're probably going to see some of the same deals with uh, Dan Snyder of the Washington commander is kind of a similar deal with him and, you know, um, John Gruden with his deal with the Raiders last year, uh, you see numerous teams a lot of the time have owners or coaches or anyone in the front office uh, go through this and it doesn't normally end well for him. So that's the case here for this Phoenix Suns owner. Uh, He'll return next year, I guess. I don't know if he's going to sell the team or what, but I assume he returns next year, but definitely a uh, unfortunate time for the Phoenix Suns without their owner for this upcoming season. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of people wanted him to be, you know, removed from the NBA. And I think while that's 
what I think everyone thinks is the correct course of action and what is deserved, unfortunately, within the rights of what, you know, the other owners and um, Adam Silver have, they can't just take the team away from him. Um, but they can force the sale, which I think is what ultimately will happen. Similar to happened with the Clippers a while back with, I'm going to forget their old owner's name. Um, when he used a racial slur during a team, during a, uh, an organizational conference or meeting, I think is what it was. Um, you know, again, he, the, I think it was, you know, the, the sale of the team was forced um, basically say, Hey, you need to sell the team or X, Y, Z is going to happen. Um, I think the same thing is going to happen here likely. Um, but again, it, while it's justified and while it should happen, um, it's just not within the rights for them to do that. I think the owners, the one spot where it's tricky, I think Dan Snyder, again, the reason we've seen this go on so long is the NFL can't just up and take the team away from him as much as we'd all like for that to happen. Um, it's just not the reality of how um, that kind of ownership works. But I think um, like I think you know, the hit the nail on the head. You're going to see some sanctions coming down here pretty soon for Dan, for Dan Snyder, um, as well as probably the fourth sale of the team, which is ultimately in the best interest of, um, you know, obviously the organization, the, the NFL, um, and just I think football as a whole, as well as basketball as a whole, getting rid of um, Robert Sarver from the league. But we'll get back to the MLB news. And I do have an answer on the playoffs, the playoff format, which I'll get to first. So I hit, I, I think I had it the first time. So the the, the top two seeds, so the top two division winners in each, in each league will get a bye week. The, the third best division winner and then the third wildcard team will play a best of three series. Uh, hosted by the higher seed again, same thing with the four and the five seed in the wild card. Um, the, the the top wild card team will play the second best wild the second best wild card team, and they'll play in a three game set hosted by the top seed. So, uh, you know, the Cardinals say they win their division. They'll host the last wild card team in St. Louis for three straight games on three straight days. Um, no game, no break in between, just a three game series like you win the regular season. Um, best of three, obviously, you win the first two, you don't have to play third. Um, same thing for the American League. So, um, and then after that, there's no reseeding. So, say the six seed wins and beats the three seed, that six seed does not go play. They play the two seed no matter what. That's not like the the one seed gets the worst remaining seed. That's not how it works. Um, so, nonetheless, a little bit a little bit has changed. I think it's better that way as opposed to a one and done game. Um, but like I said, um, should be interesting to see how the wild card plays out. Obviously, um, anything can happen in a three game set. I think the Cubs just swept the Mets in the series. So. Um, you know, anything can happen in baseball. Quite literally, anybody can beat anybody else. So um should be really good. And then um, I got our little bit of MLB news here um, that I'll touch on really quick. The Dodgers, like I mentioned earlier, clinched the NL West with 21 games remaining in the regular season on Tuesday night. Um, their ninth division title in the last 10 years. Um, they lost it last year by a game in what was probably the most one-off, immaculate, 107 win season we've ever seen and we'll probably ever see from the Giants going from, you know, one of the worst teams in baseball the year before to winning 107 games, winning the division. And then this year not making the playoffs and being, um, you know, third or fourth in that division is pretty crazy. Um, kind of a one-off year. I think, I think the Dodgers will be fine with that and take it. Um, winning the division this early, they played, they rested almost everybody last night. Um, you know, no, Mookie, no Mookie Betts, no Trey Turner, no Freddie Freeman. Um, a lot of guys got, a, got some rest last night. And then um, kind of wrap it up here. Mets star pitcher Max Scherzer made his first three up start in AAA Syracuse. They hope he'll be back in the next uh, week to seven days, depending on how, um, you know, how his bullpens go that later, later this week. Um, but assume for me back next week, probably at some point in the rotation. And then the last bit we talked about last week, um, that's kind of an unofficial news point, but it's officially official now that the minor league players will be joining the MLBPA as that was a officially passed vote. Um, really big here. I'm, I'm really glad that the, 
a player is going to be joining a union or at least the minor league players. I think it's long overdue for them. Um, I think minor league player rights is something we've pushed for for a long time and it's finally getting addressed. And I think this union is a great way to do that. And um, a really like a bit, I'm a big proponent of this, um, you know, that MLB, MLB, uh, or I guess minor league players getting to join the MLBPA and unionize um, should really be uh, a huge thing for them to go a long way in the efforts to get their, you know, player rights um, elevated a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Definitely a big deal for all the minor league players. Uh, impressive that the Dodgers clinched already. Uh, not too surprised just based off how the division was shaking out over the course of the season. And uh, for Max Scherzer, hopefully see him back pretty soon as they need him. And game is better with his best players, and he's definitely, you know, up there when he's fully healthy. So, um, yeah, not too much news, but I did have a question. So if the Guardians are the third best division winner in the AL, and the Rays, who, if they end up being the third wild card team, have a better record, do the Guardians still host the Rays? Yes, they're the higher seed, technically, which I think is lame. I think we learned our lesson last year with a 106-win team playing a one-and-done a, a one game. I thought it was lame because, um, again, anything can happen in baseball, and I think punishing a team for winning 106 games is a little bit lame. Um, obviously, it's not going to happen again this year. We're not going to have a similar situation to that last year unless the Blue Jays and the Yankees both go on absolute tears and win out, win out basically. Um, but, yeah, I know. So so it'll still be the, the, the last – the worst division winner will still host no matter what in that best of three series. Okay, yeah. Because, like, I always thought they should do it the worst. Like, if they're doing six teams, just basically do the six seeds in order of a record. Because a lot of the times you see loaded divisions where, you know, the third or fourth best team in one division is better than the best team in another. So, yeah, I think it's a little more balanced. I think it's a little more balanced if you do it that way. Um, I mean, I'm not making rules. Yeah, Um, yeah. I'm with you, though. I agree. We are going to finish out the episode with our ice bath as we each have two. I'll kick it off and then we'll alternate through. Um, So in the opening week of the NFL, there were many missed kicks and weird occurrences in general. Uh, I mean, we saw a guy, I think it was a Bengals Steelers game, literally just walk out to the, what, 10 yard line or something. Um, That was really weird. And then, I mean, many games were prolonged due to missed field goals and extra points and teams blew their shot at winning by just missing kicks. Which I just thought was really crazy to see. You know, this is something you see every single season in the NFL that the accuracy of kickers never really collectively improves. Um, you might have more top end kickers, but overall, the league wide accuracy of, you know, total extra points and field goals, it doesn't seem to get any better each season. And, you know, we saw the rookie from the Browns, Cade York, hit a 58 yarder to win the game as time expired. Um, pretty much the one game that I wish went the other way. Um, but, I mean, overall, collectively, like I said, kickers are just not making the kicks. We saw so many missed kicks in that Bengals-Steelers game that ultimately ended in a Chris Boswell field goal with a couple minutes left in overtime after he doinked one in overtime earlier. Uh, but, you know, uh, Evan McPherson missed a couple kicks. So it's just shocking to see, you know, in this day and age, just so many kickers. You figure we have 32 kickers in this world that are – NFL caliber and can hit, you know, at least 80% of their field goals, but you just don't seem to see it nowadays. And it's kind of shocking. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I think, you know, like you said, 32, 32 guys in the world got a kick. You figure that some can do it. Some can kick it at 80% clip and it's really only about five right now, which is kind of crazy, but um, I'll stick with the NFL theme. 
to start off my ice bath. Khalil Mack made his LA Chargers debut on Sunday, and it was a sight. It was a one-man wrecking crew. He had uh, six tackles, five of which were solo tackles, and three of which were t- tackles for loss or TFLs. Most importantly, he had three sacks, and his third sack came um, at the best possible time. It was uh, fourth and eight, but up just about the midfield. I think they were on the Chargers half of the field or the Raiders half of the field. Uh, fourth and eight, they were dropping back to pass, looking to keep the drive alive and go score a touchdown late and go up two points as they were down five. Uh, Cleo Matt comes up with a huge sack, basically ends the game. It was actually a strip sack as well, but didn't really matter. It was a sack. Um, ball got picked up by an alignment and ended up being Chargers ball no matter what. It was fourth down. Um, but again, a guy – a new addition this year, making a, making a huge impact on their team, um, making a huge impact in the game to basically win the game for them. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Khalil Mack. He's always been one of my more more uh, likable guys in the league. Just, I mean, he's had success wherever he's been, whether it was Vegas, Chicago, or now LA. Um, I mean, yeah, it's helpful when you have when you're playing against you know pretty bad O line, uh, but nonetheless, he's one of the premier pass rushers in the league. And I think, you know, he, he should be up there in sacks this season when it's all said and done. And I'll be real interested to see how that list shakes out. Maybe we'll get some uh, football stats updates in there every now and then oh, too. Once absolutely. hundred percent. Once the MLB wraps up, we'll probably throw in some uh, football stats updates around mid November, early November. So as you know, stats aren't fluctuating every day or every week. So my second ice bath on back a couple days ago on Tuesday, the Cleveland Browns unveiled their new midfield logo for the 2022 season home opener. It will be brownie to elf. Uh, definitely an interesting design. It could be, obviously be worse. Uh, at least they don't have something. At least they have something other than you know the brown or, or orange helmet rather. Um, but yeah, really confusing. Brownie the elf doesn't really have much correlation. It's just a little elf with a football, you know, in his hand running around uh, just kind of in stride and it's going to be, you know, midfield. It looks like it's going to be scaled pretty big too. Uh, so don't really get that. Uh, it's kind of confusing. I think the Browns just start due for a full rebrand. You know, the, their name is the Cleveland Browns. Their color is orange. Uh, rarely do you see them wear brown. And then they have the whole dog pound thing, which has no correlation to brown. And then now you have an elf at midfield. Um, that, you know, it's just really confusing tying everything together. Doesn't really have much correlation. Uh, it'd be nice to see a rebrand, like I said, with, you know, just a mascot and that mascot's at midfield, something like that that you see with the majority of the teams in the league. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what they're doing with this, but I guess it's better than nothing. So, Yeah, I think, um, I think Brown of the Elf, was one of their old throwback logos, and they think they had the logo a long time ago. Um, you know, I think it, I think it looks cool, but my problem with it is, is there's like there's really no, they haven't embraced that at all in the last five years. So maybe they're going to embrace it, and maybe they do they drop like a a new alternate unit that goes with like a new alternate helmet that incorporates Brown of the Elf or something along those lines a little bit more. Um, I think the logo looks fine. I actually like it. Um, I think it's different. I think it's cool. Um, it's just it's kind of one-off, you know what I mean? It doesn't really, like, there's no other really instances of them kind of championing this new mascot, if you will, or bringing it back. Um, a little confusing, but again, I think it's better than the helmet, that's for sure. The brown helmet was kind of lame. It was, like, the worst logo in, in football, so definitely better than what they had before, but I uh, would like to see them embrace kind of the, the brown of the elf thing um, kind of as a whole a little bit more, but 
I'll get to my last ice bath, non-football related here. Um, Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina made their record-setting 255th start as a pitcher-catcher combo. I believe it was 255. Um, but Brewers outfielder Christian Yelich took the first pitch for a strike, allowing the two to keep the ball and throw into the dugout. Um, really cool gesture from Yelich, allowing those two to, uh, you know, take the first pitch. I mean, it was a huge game for that team. Um, between those two teams that are fighting for a division title right now, um, the Brewers really need to win that game. They need to win all their games kind of to end the year um, and perform well to make it into the playoffs. And um, really cool gesture from Yelich, um, bigger than baseball. Obviously, those two guys have been together for years. Um, two masters of their craft. Obviously, Yachty um, going to be a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. Wayno um, probably going to be a Hall of Famer as well, maybe not first ballot, but definitely Hall of Fame stuff from him over his career. Um, super long career, really impressive stuff. I think he's like, what, 40, 42 now. Um, Pitching at, at still a, a starter quality level. So, um, you know, really cool to see um, Yachty and, and Wayno going to have a postseason start probably this year. So, um, just a really cool thing to see again, like bigger than baseball. I think um, we get caught up sometimes in the the new age, you know, player rivalries. And I think it's cool to see two guys, um, or sorry, three guys here that are a chance bigger than baseball, especially you got like Christian Yelich. This is a key to division rival in the Cardinals. And, um, you know, allowing that gesture to happen in a game like that, taking the first pitch for a strike is pretty cool. Um, that kind of wraps it up this week. Um, coming at you guys tomorrow with an episode on the college football and NFL preview. Lighter college football week from what I've already kind of previewed a little bit. Um, big game from the Red Raiders going to North Carolina. Um, a couple of their big matchups this week. Not a ton of ranked matchups, ranked versus ranked, but throw a couple else in there and, and see what we got going on. But that kind of wraps it up for me. Anything else you got, Brett? No, I don't think so. Um... I mean, yeah, tomorrow will be our third edition of Football Episode. We'll give an updated overall record along with about a dozen games that we pick or so. Um, yeah, also the week one NFL recap, which was fun. A lot of stuff went down. Obviously, mentioned all the missed kicks. Uh, we, had, you know, we had a tie. We almost had two ties. Uh, but, yeah, a lot to unfold and talk about for week two as well and week three of college football. Um, so, yeah, we're getting to the heat of it and looking forward to it. Everything coming up here. Um, good time of year. Baseball postseason starting. We have golf, you know, always. Um, football just getting going. And then we have NBA in, you know, five weeks. So uh, good time of year to be a sports fan. And you can figure out, find out all your news here on the Cold Seat Podcast and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And we will see you all tomorrow. See y'all later.